Hello and welcome to the Homebrew Magic Podcast. My name is Nelson and with me tonight is Teej. I'm Teej. Teej, how's it going? Not too bad, Nelson. How are you doing? I can't complain. Just the two of us again. Just no, the two of us. No need to spread our love to a third. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, tonight we are going to be talking about... We we dis, we had talked about kind of doing a, an in-depth series, if you will, or in-depth look at each of the, the colors that make up magic. So, uh, you know, colorless aside, we're looking at the five main colors of magic, which are black, blue, green, red, and white. Um, alphabetical order right off the top of my head right there. That's the English major in me. So those are the, the five main colors. We're going to start with black this evening, uh, and we're going to talk about what what the colors in magic are, the, the color wheel, if you will, uh, you know, kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses of each color. And then we picked out some cards that we like and some cards that we might not so much like from that color. Again, tonight, the, the focus is black. But before we get into that, uh, what have you been up to in magic since the last time we talked? Well, it was like uh, three days ago, wasn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> not too long at all. No, not uh, honestly, not too much i uh did a few more arena things and i was super excited to draft some uh ravnica again but alas it's not there right now instead we're back to ixalan for some reason yeah i saw that this morning too i was like "Eh." so i started drafting ixalan because a draft is still a draft so that's that it is that it is. How did, um, how did it go? What did you play? Oh, I haven't played yet. I I started drafting. Haven't even finished the draft yet. Oh, nice. How far into you are, are how far into it are you? I just went through the first pack. Oh, okay. Uh, so what kind of yeah. what kind of stuff did you get? I'm leaning towards Orzhov Vampires again. It's tried and true. That is true. It is. Yeah. So, nothing spectacular really. Uh my first pick was a where is it there you are path of discovery oh nice that's a solid pick uh, it is yeah uh but then nothing uh next pick was um i think the sadistic sky martyr uh two two flying lifelink for three yeah i know that vampire yeah he's he's pretty good so i picked that and uh you know unless something terrible happens uh i'm just gonna keep going with the vampires Nice. Yeah, Ixalan was a good um, set for that. Yeah. I also picked up a Gruul Guild kit, and I picked up one of those uh, for my lovely wife, because uh, she doesn't play too much magic, but uh, she does have... Um, did I ever tell you about uh, my buddy and Christmas EDH? Uh, not that I recall. All right. Oh, you met Robert. Robert. Uh, Robert did an episode of of yeah. Gamers with us. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So for a number of years, we didn't do it this past year because he is a brand new baby girl who happens to be my goddaughter. Um, but for the past couple of years, uh, he did a thing every year uh, that he called Christmas EDH, and it was just a fun night for a bunch of us to get together uh, and play some cards. But we come from uh, very, our friend group comes from varying degrees of, of magic backgrounds. Uh, whereas Robert's been playing the longest. Um, I say this, uh, I, I say this humbly, but I'm the best one in the group. <laughs> uh, it's because Robert, uh, Robert's been playing for a much longer time, but uh, uh, he, he doesn't keep up to date on this on on all the sets and stuff he also doesn't have as much disposable income to put towards the hobby as i do so he fell off for a few years whereas uh, i just hit the ground running and never really stopped so uh that plus a combination of of putting a couple more bucks into the game than he does uh has allowed me better resources so every time we get together, uh, uh, I try to bring decks that are equal power level, which is sometimes difficult to do. But anyway, so what he ended up doing is for for uh, Christmas for the past few years, 
he went on the internet and he bought how many of us are in the group two four six seven so there's seven of us total that do this he bought each of us a commander but he didn't tell us what he bought us instead he just uh made up riddles uh and sent those out to us as clues and our job was to see if we could figure out who the commander was based on the riddle he sent us then build a deck around the commander we thought we had <laughs> and then bring that deck to to christmas edh where it gets revealed and if you figured out good job and if you didn't you're screwed <laughs> uh <laughs> that's awesome that's really yeah, cool it's, it, it's actually a, it's a it's a lot of fun so anyway, uh, the last time we got together, uh, my wife, I thought for sure she had, uh, hers was going to be the werewolf guy, the one legendary werewolf we had, but it turned it out not to be that guy. It was Ruik Thar. So she kind of oh, had awesome. a, yeah, she kind of had a, a transforming gruel deck that was headed up by Ruik Thar instead of the werewolf commander. Um, but anyways, she, uh, she loves green and she hates every other color red the most because red is ugly. So, but, uh, this deck that she built in Ruik Thar, she actually really enjoyed playing that deck. So Ulrich, that's his name. That's the werewolf, right? Yes. Ulrich, yes. Ulrich yes. of the, the, uh, the crawling horde or something like that, right? Yes. Yes. Which was not her commander. God, what was um, he? Eldritch moon? Shadows yeah. over Innistrad, whatever that no, second Moon. Innistrad chunk was. Eldritch Moon? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, he, um, she really enjoyed the deck and the commander, so I said that uh, I would build her a deck around that card, but I never really got around to doing it, because, again, she doesn't play nearly as much as any of us. She'll only play uh, whenever we're all going to get together and play, so she plays maybe once or twice a year. But since these uh, guild kits came out and they've got cool lands and everything, and the the foil in the gruel one just happens to be Ruikthar, I decided on a whim to grab one of these while they were still in supply because Smart I didn't want move. to have the idea later uh, and not be able to find one anywhere. Cool. So I did pick up one of those for her. It's sitting here on my shelf. I will get around to playing with it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Before Christmas. <laughs> Before Christmas, hopefully. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been doing. That's cool. I like it. How about how about you? Um, well, since, like you said, it's only been a few days, uh, I have not done anything paper-wise. I haven't even had a chance <laughs> to get back to my Markov deck. I've had a, a busy last few days uh, since it's been the weekend and stuff, but... Um, I did take some time actually this morning. I, I had a little free time and I fired up Arena and I was like, you know what? I'm going to jump on this mono red bandwagon uh, that I've been hating on. I have a deck list here of what I built. I didn't. I, I don't really know that it has a focus yet. We'll we'll see. I ca I called it Mono Red Chains <laughs> 1.0. So I've got four Fanatical Firebrands, uh, four Gitu Lava Runner, four Shock, four Lightning Strike, four Runaway Steamkin, four Vaishino Pyromancer, four Chain Whirlers, four Light Up the Stage, one Risk Factor, four Skewer the Critics four wizards lightning and 19 mountains so i don't really know what direction this thing has i've only played a handful of games with it i mean it's one which is what it's supposed to do the best part so far seems to be steamkin into any sort of direct damage because you're basically getting free mana just for casting red spells when the steamkin's out there and you're pumping it up with charge uh the the counters the charge counters or whatever they're calling them so so that's cool obviously shocks and lightning strikes are great for right to the face i do like the um how do i want to what's the word i want the flexibility i guess of fanatical fire firebrand where uh you can attack with it or you can sacrifice them to you know fling your damage at a specific creature or at your opponent or or whatever so that's kind of nice it's uh, mono red is uh it's a new world to me so okay we'll see i've only played like i said about three games with it but i had fun and maybe i won't hate it so much now and then the other the other thing i did was you had discussed your simic merfolk deck and i was like man i really like merfolk like they're fun i just kind of had my fill of them because merfolk was also one of the pre-con decks that arena comes with and yes. 
I, I played it a lot. I had seen it played a lot. It's a ton of fun, but I got away from it because I was just kind of tired of both seeing it and running it myself. So when you brought it up, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to build one too. So my Simic Merfolk deck looks like it's three Jade Bear, uh, three Kumana Speaker, two Disperse, two Merfolk Trickster, four River Sneak, four Silver, Silver Gill Adept, three Deep Root Elite, two Merfolk Branchwalker, four Merfolk Mistbender, three Deep Root Waters, three Water Trap Weaver, one Herald of Secret Storms, one Seafloor Oracle, uh, one Sleep, and then I put uh, my land is, let me scroll down a little bit here, my land, I've got 11 Island and 8 Forest, but I've also got three Breeding Pool, one Hinterland Harbor, and one Woodland Stream. I had four Woodland Streams in there, and then I thought, what am I doing? Why don't I switch that out with the Breeding Pools I have? Because then if I feel like paying life, I don't have to wait a turn for those woodland streams to untap. So um, if I had a fourth breeding pool, I would do it, but I just, I don't feel like wasting a wild card on that when I've got three out of four and woodland stream, it's like, well, whatever, it's a breeding pool without paying the life. So three out of four ain't bad. I think somebody said that once, but yeah, no, one of the cards that I I really like in this deck um, that it, it functions really well off of, and I think you might have touched on this uh, the last episode, is Deep Root Waters. That thing is, I don't know how I didn't think about it more before, but holy crap, that card is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just pumping out 1-1 one, one Merfolks when uh, anytime you cast a Merfolk and they have Hexproof. And then if you've got um, cards like Deep Root Elite out there, or um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, Mistbender. Mistbender gives everything plus one, plus one, but Deep Root Elite allows you to pick and choose where you want to put those counters so you can pump up those those hexproof merfolk pretty quickly. Or uh, if you feel like it, the river sneaks, you know, whenever another merfolk enters the battlefield, it gets plus one, plus one, and its static ability is that it can't be blocked. So that in conjunction with something like a Deep Root Elite, uh, Mistbender, and of course, the deep root waters allows that unblockable creature to. I mean, I've consistently had those things at four, four, and five, five. So, and you get one or two of those coming at you every turn, unblockable, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's a pretty fun beat to the face uh, as far as merfolk. So, I'm really glad you brought that up the last time we talked because, like I said, it reminded me, man, I love playing. I think blue and green uh, have some great synergy together. I love uh, whether they're you know, Simic cards like we got in Ravnica Allegiance, or if it's just like, I mean, Merfolk in general, it's a, it's a ton of fun. They're pretty flexible. You can go wide or you can go big depending on how you want to build out. And that's a lot of fun for me. So I played that one, uh, probably about three times or so, uh, today as well. And that went pretty well too. I think I went two and one with that deck. So I'm looking forward to getting to play with them a little bit more and kind of, uh, kind of see where they go. And then I I ran into some Esper stuff again, and I'm kind of thinking that might be where I go next. Now, whether it's going to be straight up control where I use some of the mythics I'm sitting on to make some Teferis or what, uh, I'm not sure yet. But I do know that I want to build, def- if not Esper, definitely black and white and definitely something with all the Eldest Reborn I have because that card's awesome. And I think it's also very powerful in Arena. And, uh, it's just something I, I very much look forward to, to building with. I use it in paper and I want to use it in my arena decks. So that's kind of where I'm looking to go next. Yeah. So, uh, that brings us to the, the main focus of tonight's episode. And, uh, you know, like I said, we had talked about when talking about what makes magic magic, it's iconic for a lot of reasons, but also you know, it's iconic for its five main colors. And as you know, said before, black, blue, green, red, white make up uh, magic's color wheel. And that's what you see printed on the back of all of your magic cards. And so each, each color has its own, how do I want to say this, has its own benefits, but also its own um, limitations, I suppose. And since we're, we're going through black tonight, we will, we will start with that one. And when you think about the color black and magic it to me it represents things like uh power ambition illness uh death corruption yeah, definitely sacrifice that's another thing you do a lot with black i wouldn't necessarily call it evil although most of the cards or a good chunk of the cards kind of represent an evil faction or evil concept 
the 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 strengths of the color i would say as opposed to others the ability to destroy creatures directly without necessarily having to do them damage so if you look at red and you've got a lot of burn spells that do direct damage well black has just straight up removal it's it's more powerful i would say in black than necessarily in other colors black also can straight up force players to discard cards from their hand that is one way i love to play black and black does so more than than any of the other colors another thing black can do because it's the color of vampires is life drain so it can either straight up drain life from your opponent like the card drain life or it can drain life and gain you life and there are many ways to do this some cards directly will do it some combinations of cards may do it but that's one nice part about black is kind of a transfer of life from your opponent to you black unlike other colors i'm thinking green specifically green doesn't necessarily have a lot of flyers black does have a good amount of evasion uh when you think about things like um angels demons specters you know whatever kind of flying creatures um you can get in black and another big benefit of black is resurrecting creatures from graveyards uh both yours and your opponents if you're looking for a deck that's going to play with a lot of graveyard shenanigans uh black is black is the color for you uh, one thing I noticed, um, I forget where I pulled this from. I probably should have noted it, but it was a, a note on the color black, and it's something to the tune of uh, because black seeks to win at all costs, it has limited access to many abilities or effects that are normally available to only one of the other colors, but these abilities often require large sacrifices of life totals, creatures, cards in your own hand, cards in your library, or other difficult-to-replace resources. So this is one of the ways that black is more expensive um, than other colors. There is some cheap stuff in black, but for the, the really powerful spells in black, kind of keeping on theme with the, the whole black magic idea, you also have to pay a price for that, whether that's maybe sacrificing your own creature or discarding your own cards in addition to whatever the casting cost of the card is. Um, you know, and, and again, life gain or life gain, life loss comes into play with that as well. You do have to pay your own life in order for something to happen, which, like I said, is very flavorful with black magic. And I guess if I had to pick one ability that stuck out the most in black, it would probably be Death Touch. I don't know if you can think of anything else. I guess if you're thinking like fear and menace and things like that, but I guess to me, Death Touch might be the most powerful static ability in black. Would you disagree with that? That's, uh, I guess, the most well-known. That's the uh, what Evergreen. The yeah, Evergreen no, I, yeah. It's going to be your Death Touch. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I remember when they first introduced it, and it was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> I can kill anything now just by blocking it. Now, obviously, you know, you still take trample damage and things like that. However, now your your one two death touch creature can take out anything it can touch. So it's a very powerful ability, and it's it's awesome. I one of the reasons I love black is because of death touch. Uh, so it's an it's an awesome ability. Um, and again, if you're not familiar we don't want to make any assumptions here death touch it, it forces any creature dealt damage by a creature with death touch um and that automatically dies at the end of combat regardless of uh whether or not that creature had enough power to kill it as far as the uh the weaknesses in playing black i would say that black does have a difficulty to in in dealing with enchantments and artifacts it's not like white or blue or even green um, or you know what, even red as I'm thinking, you know, vandal blast and things like that, uh, for direct artifact and or enchantment removal. So if you're playing against somebody and you're playing mono black and you don't have much in the way of, of enchantment or artifact removal, that could be difficult. And then again, another thing is just the, the tendency to, uh, inflict negative things on, on yourself, uh, as the black player. So, whether or not you're pitching your own cards, sacrificing your own creatures, losing your own life, things like that, in order to um, play uh, play a spell. And and actually, now that I think about it, one other thing, and this is more so, I think this might be more so an older uh, older magic. Sometimes black has a difficulty uh, or has difficulty in removing black cards right so you know i'm thinking specifically old old direct removal like terror where it was uh you know bury target non-black creature so if you're playing against somebody who's also running mono black then it can be more difficult for you to remove their creatures at times but 
if that's the case, then the payoff is it can be more difficult for them to try and actually remove yours. So, you know, um, there's, there's good, there's bad. Black has always been my favorite color in the game. I've said this on the show multiple times, but, um, I, I like to play with it. Uh, do you, what about you teach? Do you play with black or like, do you find yourself looking to build with black or do you kind of stick with other colors? Uh, I do like black actually. Um, black is a color that, uh, I, I do, I do enjoy black. I didn't know where to start with that. Um, my strongest, uh, EDH deck for a while was blue, black, and green, which I think is the strongest three color combination. Who, very who ran that deck? Uh, that was Demaya, Sage of Stone. 4-4 uh, four, four Death Touch for 7 mana. Uh, I skip my draw step, uh, but at the beginning of my upkeep, if I have fewer than 7 cards in my hand, I draw up to 7. So, But black is, black is the second best color in Magic for drawing cards. Uh, that's going to be Blue's Wheelhouse, um, but pairing blue with black is going to give you uh, some really good options in drawing, and I really like that. Blue blue is the most efficient uh, for drawing cards when it comes to uh, mana cost compared to number of cards drawn, uh, but that's just straight up mana. Black will allow you to draw cards for life. I don't mean black will allow you to draw cards forever. I mean at the cost <laughs> of your own life, black will allow you to draw cards. <laughs> that was an NWO teach talking there. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite black cards uh, is Knight's Whisper. I put that on the on the list there. That's one in a black to draw two cards and you lose two life. It's really cost efficient. Uh, you only get two mana and also two life. But you're getting two cards out of that. You're not going to find that in uh, even in blue. Uh, blue, two mana will cause you to draw two cards and most likely discard something. Yeah, and I'd, yeah. I'd almost... I guess it depends on the, the situation in the game, but I'm going to say probably nine times out of ten, I would rather pitch a couple life points than a card because oh, definitely. you can't win without cards. <laughs> definitely. So getting back to the question you asked me, which is building with black i currently have let's two i think two edh decks uh that have black in them not counting prosh because that's just a an unaltered precon but my uh dragon lord silumgar deck has black in it oh yeah that's black and blue that deck is designed completely around stealing my opponent's resources and in that deck i've got things like I should have brought it in here. Uh, I've got things like Lord of the Void, which uh, will remove cards from the top of somebody's library, and then I can steal something that I remove with Lord of the Void. That deck also lets me take things directly out of your graveyard, either with enchantments like Animate Dead, uh, or by casting them with things like uh, Have and Go Lich Lord. Uh, that's what Black is doing in that deck, is using my opponent's resources against them. And the other deck that I have is my Teneb, the Harvester deck, which is currently my strongest deck, uh, and that's by design. Um, I do like to have one deck in my arsenal where if someone wants to sit down and play with our strongest decks, this is the one I'm going to whip out. Um, and this deck is, is all about uh, reanimation, graveyard recursion. For super super cheap uh i can pitch uh, a six converted mana cost creature into my graveyard and then for one mana bring it back out onto the battlefield it might cost me some life but one mana to get a, a, a six drop creature on the battlefield um and in a deck where i can uh uh, uh I, I can do this potentially by turn two that's very very strong and that's right there in in black's wheelhouse so on the one hand i've got a lot of card draw and using other people's resources uh in black and on the other hand i've got uh just graveyard recursion reanimation that sort of stuff those are two things that black really really does well absolutely yeah uh thinking back in times past what else i've done with black um tribal stuff zombies when they when uh, when the Titans were released, I was really happy because then I built. I, I always liked 
zombies, but when Grave Titan came out, it was like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be fun because that what is what is he six six I think, and he has death six, touch. Six. Yep, six six death, six six death touch. And then when he enters the battlefield or attacks, you create two 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 zombie creature tokens. Yes, he that's super was sweet. awesome. <laughs> that was my favorite Titan when those Titans came out. Yep, same here. Um, he was definitely my everyone, favorite. Everyone was all about Primeval Titan. I completely underestimated how strong that card actually was. I didn't think it was so great. But I can see now where Primeval Titan is is, is strong. But we're not talking about green. Get out of here, Primeval Titan. <laughs> Go home. We're talking about black. I, I was a big fan of him. Um, I'm trying to think of like other huh, creatures that, when they were released, really got me excited. Uh, Avatar of Woe, when the Avatars were released, I really liked Avatar of Woe. Because unlike Royal Assassin, Avatar of Woe could just destroy target creature. It did not have to be tapped. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, when that yeah. came out in the Urza block. Trying to think what else off the top of my head. Like where they had one in each color. I don't even remember what the Black Magus was. So that's how excited I was for that card. Magus of the Coffers. Uh, what's that? Magus of the Coffers. Thank you. Magus of the Coffers. Don't even remember what he does without looking him up. Uh, he's he's uh, Cabal Coffers. Uh, okay. You pay two mana and tap him and you add an amount of black to your mana pool uh, equal to the number of swamps you have. Okay, that's right. That's right. Which that's makes sense considering that, uh, he's the Magus of the Coffer, so. Yeah, that's a card I've played with on and off. It's been in and out of my uh, Tenab deck. Actually, I've got a list right here. I got this, uh, I started using this app. I, don't, I can't remember if I told you guys yet about it or not. Uh, the Top Decked app? No, but I actually was reading about it today in like multiple spots, and I was like, I need to check this thing out. So, no, I do not currently run Magus of the Coffers in my Tenab deck. But no, top deck. Uh, uh, I've been using that to to catalog all of my my decks. Uh, it's just an easy way to keep track of all your stuff, and I've actually really enjoyed it so far. It's a little time consuming putting the the cards in one at a time. There might be a different way to use it. I don't know or really care. It's something fun to do in front of the television. <laughs> so does it? Uh, does it let you scan? It might if you pay. Okay, so it's one where there's a free version and like a like a premium version. Yeah, got it. And I okay. don't have the I don't have the premium version. Okay, but it might because I've used that Delver lens before, but that doesn't really like track. Yeah, that's a good uh, pricing tool. You know, if you're a store owner and stuff like that, scan it quick, get right. a price, whatever. But yeah, no, I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Um, check that app out. Highly recommend it. Yeah, cool. Anyway, tangent over. <laughs> back to black. Back to black. So uh, one thing I was thinking about just now i guess as we're as we're going into this so one of the cool things that has changed since magic first came out there was a lot of it was easy to mix stuff but at the same time like mono mono creatures were or mono creatures mono decks were cool and it was kind of the focus at least in my play group way back you know fourth edition ice age time and so when you're looking at the the color wheel or the color pie or whatever the hell you want to call it and it's the 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 set of the they look like marbles right on the back of the card so the way magic was designed was each color next to the color so in this case if you're looking red and blue are directly to either side of black those were the um allied colors if you will so r&d made sure that those colors played well together and the colors across from them were the enemy colors or you know cards that that didn't play so well so i remember when they started introducing multicolor cards and they were the first gold cards that there were and seeing god if i i don't remember if i'm thinking of this right but one that sticks out in my head from a long time ago is uh, i believe it was called pestilent zombie or something like that and it was a it was a uh zombie for a white mana and a black mana and it was like wait a minute you can't do that those colors aren't allied what are you doing and you know it really can't got cool once guilds were introduced so you know ravnica city of guilds and all the subsequent stuff from that where you're looking at orzhov or you're looking at golgari well back when the game was in its infancy you didn't really do that because it didn't work well so it was a, a cool thing over the course of the life of the game where wizards took something that i don't necessarily want to say it was a rule like oh well we don't do this but they kind of adapted it and and changed it and now you've got 
colors pairing with colors all over the place. So rather than just say Rakdos and Dimir, you know, uh, for those, for the red and black and, and, and black and blue decks, uh, now you've got, you know, like I said, Golgari and Orzhov, which are, you know, the, the, the green and black and the white and black. So that's been a kind of a, a cool evolution, if you will, uh, over the history of the game. And I guess that's a good kind of segue into, you know, you had mentioned it earlier. We picked a, a, a few cards from Magic's history uh, in in black. We have not revealed our list to each other yet. And we just wanted to, you know, grab a few, a handful of cards from the color that we're focusing on. And again, obviously this week it's black and just kind of talk about those cards, why we like them. Uh, and, you know, maybe we've got a few that we chose that we think are complete crap as well. And and we'll get there when we get there. So uh, Tej, you already told us one of the cards on your list. So why don't you tell us about it again? And then I'll give you the first one on my list. Uh, one of the ones I picked was um, Knight's Whisperer. That is one in a black for a sorcery. Uh, draw two cards and lose two life. I just really like that card. Uh, I do enjoy drawing cards. Um, it's It fits in the color pie because it's drawing cards, and that's a thing you're going to see from its blue friends. But it's also causing uh, uh, life loss, which is something you're going to see from your red friends. Uh, so there's where that comes into play. But it also it just screams black because you are... You are uh, uh, drawing cards from your library you're gaining knowledge but that knowledge comes at a cost and that cost is going to be your life uh if it was if that was a repeatable effect which we might talk about on a future card you can keep doing that as many times as you want but eventually your life is going to go down and all that knowledge is probably going to cost you the game but i did pick knight's whisper because that's always a card when i'm building a deck uh, and I'm looking to fill that card draw slot. If I'm running black, Knight's Whisper almost always makes the cut. That's a cool card. I like that, and that's a that's a good choice. That did not make my list, but that thinking about it, that's a a very efficient black card. And like you said, kind of speaks to the whole flavor of the color as well, where you're you're paying for that knowledge with your life. So I, I really like how you the way you illustrated that with your words. <laughs> it uh, <laughs> it's it's very very on point. Um, the, the first card on my list, and these are really in no particular order. Um, I grabbed five and I do have one honorable mention just because it gave me, as I'm thinking about these, it struck me as like a, a blast from the past, but I'll get to that one, uh, last. The first one on my list, uh, is Liliana of the Veil. So this is the kind of quintessential Liliana Planeswalker, I guess. Uh, Liliana Vess obviously was the first Liliana Planeswalker, but this Liliana of the Veil was first printed in Innistrad, and she has been a powerhouse in many formats ever since. Again, she's a Planeswalker, uh, one generic mana and two black mana. She comes into play with three loyalty counters. Pump her up, plus one. Each player discards a card. Take her down, minus two. Target player sacrifices a creature. And take her down, minus six. Separate all permanents target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of his or her choice. So it would be redundant i suppose at this point to go into why this card is so good it just is it it speaks for itself it works great in a discard deck which is kind of what liliana is is about anyway back with liliana vests uh discard and zombies and whatever you know i love to use it in conjunction with liliana's caress where now not only are you discarding cards but you're going to lose life because of it she works great to force opponents to sacrifice creatures and uh, then again, she works as kind of a, if you play your cards right, uh, uh, a board wipe in, you know, in a sense, I suppose, because they, they don't lose everything, but you can, you take all the permanents they control. So you're taking their lands, their enchantments, their artifacts, their creatures, you know, whatever it may be. And, and you're, you're separating them into two piles. And no matter how you separate it, as long as you make it hurt, it's going to suck to lose one of them. And it's just like, well, which one, you know, which one do you want to lose? So she is, she's awesome. She's probably on most people's, you know, top whatever list of of black cards and magic but uh liliana the veil is the the first card on my list what do you got next uh the next one i have is lord of the pits oh yeah um, this is one of the 
most iconic black cards from my past that I can think of. It's a uh, great card. 7-7 seven, seven Demon for 4 and 3 black. Uh, flying and Trample. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature other than Lord of the Pit. If you can't, Lord of the Pit deals 7 damage to you. Uh, this one really stood out. Uh, this came, I got my first copy of this card in the Angels and Demons dual decks that came out. Oh man, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he was the, uh, the, the foily head of the demon deck. And it was, it was, uh, this really, for some reason, uh, I never really considered flavor before in the game until seeing this card. You summon you you summoned a demon to stay and fight by your side, but the uh, but the the demon requires sacrifice, uh, and if you can't sacrifice something, the demon is going to hurt you. Uh, it's still it's still going to do uh, what it's told uh, and attack your opponents, but you need to have stuff to feed to that demon, otherwise otherwise it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. And I really liked that. I saw that. So I, I, yeah, that's the one I picked. And I was actually going to pick a a different one. I was, I mean, I wasn't going to pick a different one. I'm sorry. I was going to pick one in addition to that to kind of share the slot. But I can't. I didn't look it up beforehand, and now I'm frantically trying to find it. So I will let you talk and see if I can find the other card that I'm thinking of. I will do that. Uh, before I get to my next card, you got me thinking about Lord of the Pit and how fun it was. I mean, this card was kind of one of the cards back in the day because you didn't have a lot of creatures that had a very high power and a high toughness, especially in black. And this thing's a 7-7, and it had flying, and it had trample, which was awesome. Yeah. I mean, this card was, yeah, he cost 7 to get out, but once you dumped him on the board, it was pretty much game over. Like, you were going to steamroll someone and one of the cards that i really liked to pair this with back in the day is a uh, breeding pit so breeding pits not on my list but like i said you bringing it up made me think of it and it was a cool combo breeding pit was from uh, i think it was first printed in fallen empires if i'm not mistaken at least that's where i remember it from the most because it was this cool like almost like the stone well where there's like this ghastly spirit woman thing kind of coming the art's really cool look it up fallen empires breeding pit but it's an enchantment for three generic and one black and during your upkeep you did have to pay two black mana or bury breeding pit but at the end of your turn you put a thrall token onto play and and it was a zero one black thrall creature. So when you had something like breeding pit, where it was constantly generating creature tokens for you, well, actually, I guess back then it was just creatures. They didn't call them tokens yet. Then you had a constant supply of, of creatures that you could feed or sacrifice to this demon. So that just, you know, you bringing up Lord of the pit got me thinking, oh yeah, I remember we used to run, you know, that in conjunction with breeding pool. Cause it kept it alive kind of kind of staying on flavor with what i remember from when i first started playing this card is also on my top 10 list that we did in our first episode because it's just i remember it being iconic when i was a kid and i was learning how to play and it's just a really fun card to play with it was stupid powerful uh in the old original game it's not quite as powerful anymore because there's better things but uh you'll you'd be hard pressed to find much better art and that is royal assassin he's a 1-1 assassin for a generic and two black mana and you can tap him to destroy any tapped creature so he was kind of uh he held up your opponent um especially if you had multiple copies of him on the battlefield because as soon as a creature tapped to attack or sort you know if it was part of its ability and activated ability where it had to tap to do something you could tap in response your royal assassin and kill that creature so he was just very very powerful because he did not have to even though he's a one one he didn't have to you know um inflict any damage excuse me he didn't have to inflict any damage on a creature uh in order to kill it because of his his ability so he's a a, a card i've professed my love for before a card i will continue to profess my love for uh forever and yeah royal assassin he's He's great. Did I did I talk long enough to let you find what you're looking for? You did. I found him. Hell yeah. What's that? Uh, the other demon I was thinking of was the Zathrid demon. Oh, that thing's cool. Uh, that is also a 7-7 seven, seven flying trample demon, but this one only costs 6 mana, 3 and 3 black. And Lord of the Pit stands out to me more 
as a uh, like when I think of black and I and I think of iconic black cards that I, I like that one is always the first one that pops into my mind but then every time I read Lord of the Pit I think of Zathra Demon even though I don't always think of the name of it <laughs> Uh, and this is because it has a similar ability, but I think Zathrid's Demon's ability is slightly more flavorful. Uh, this one is, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature other than Zathrid Demon, so it's still demanding a sacrifice from you. Each opponent loses life equal to the sacrifice creature's power. Uh, if you can't sacrifice a creature, you tap Zathrid Demon and you lose 7 life. Uh, and I like that flavor-wise slightly better because if you can't sacrifice it it's not doing shit for you i i like that too that's a uh, very on point you know like yeah. you were saying and just i like the art on that one too he's a pretty badass looking demon yeah he's got those horns man yeah he's got like the the, the super horns and actually his face uh almost looks like the logo for disturbed the i i think they have a name for it but i don't know oh, yeah the, i don't uh, remember that guy's name the he's scary face pretty sure he's got a name but yeah no he, he kind of looks if you look close enough at the card it almost looks like the disturbed demon um with yeah, giant never, fucking uh, horns i never thought of that before <laughs> i always think hellboy when i see those horns oh yeah yeah that too although hellboys are cut off <laughs> yes he's got the stumps left look more normal yeah <laughs> what's next on your list yeah oh oh uh the next one on my list is animate dead god damn that's a great card animate dead is one of those uh cards that uh, are in my my ten of deck it's just an enchantment i like animate dead not only because of its effect uh but because of the history of the card basically the effect is it pulls a creature out of your graveyard it gives the creature minus one minus one i think let me pull it back. I don't know why I closed it. I just had it up. Uh, minus one, minus zero. Uh, and then if you lo- uh, if you uh, if animate dead goes away, then the creature also goes away. It's it's like that. Uh, the problem with this card is uh, the rules in Magic. The wording has to be very very specific because of how complex the rule system in Magic is. So much so that uh, uh, Wizards has lawyers on staff that are so good with words that they help write the rules to make sure that the game and all the cards in the game function uh, the way that it's intended to function. Animate Dead's gone through countless iterations of the text. Like, I don't think, uh, I can't think of... Maybe the most recent one, because it just got reprinted in a master set or something. But I can't think of two sets in a row where Animate Dead was printed, where the oracle, where the where the text on the card remained constant from the set before. Uh, and they just have to constantly change it, because the way the rules work, uh, you enchant something in the graveyard. And when you enchant something in the graveyard, it pulls it out of the graveyard. And since the aura says enchant creature in graveyard, if it's on the battlefield, it's no longer in the graveyard, which means by the rules, state-based actions, that aura has to fall off. But that's not how they want the card to work. So they still have to word very carefully that it loses enchant in the graveyard and gains enchant on the battlefield. Creature put on the battlefield with this specific card. The wording on the card is... is, is just bonkers just bonkers type in a uh, uh type in animate dead in your preferred uh magic the gathering database if it's uh, uh scryfall or or gatherer or what have you and just look at all the different printings of this card read all the words on the card it's so confusing to read for such a <laughs> simple effect yes it, it is. really really is i agree and that's one that um like watching the evolution of the art on it as well to a cool yeah. card. but yeah you're right i mean it's uh it's dense as far as magic cards go oh yes so the next one on my list is i, I kind of went back and forth because there are are two cards that i very much like and they are both tutors and i was going back and forth between demonic tutor and vampiric tutor i didn't want to have them both on the list just because i was trying to keep my numbers down however i think they're both awesome cards so maybe they're like an uh maybe they're like an a b here but but demonic tutor is the one that's on my list 
I, I love the art. I think it's a very powerful card, as is Vampiric Tutor. Vampiric Tutor's cheaper uh, as far as casting cost. I believe it's just one black mana and then two life. Uh, Demonic Tutor is a generic mana and a black mana, and it allows you to search your library for one card and put it in your hand and then give your library a reshuffle. So, again, any card that lets you draw is good. Any card that lets you draw whatever you want is even better. So Demonic Tutor is extremely powerful, has always been extremely powerful, and is just a fantastic utility card in any game of Magic. I run this in EDH. I I love it very much. I definitely went and spent $45 or whatever just to get a revised version uh, or edition I should say a copy of this card because I love it so much I can't afford the alpha or beta because I'm not Mr. $123 money bags but uh, <laughs> I I needed to get I needed to get one with the original art Schnell had one from revised in stock I bought it I love it and I run it in oh god what do I have it in right now um, my Grixis discard EDH deck uh, so that I can go and fish for things that I need in order to make you pay for discarding. So yeah, Demonic Tutor, love that card. It's fantastic and it deserves a spot on my list, damn it. What do you got next? Uh, Well, the next one on my list is one we've already spoken about and that was Grave Titan. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder earlier. Oh, that's all right. Grave Titan is, is a good enough card where uh, if you didn't think we weren't going to talk about it, then you're sorely mistaken. <laughs> yeah, it's just 6-6 it, it, six, six for 6 is good enough, but then it has Death Touch, but then it also makes the zombie tokens. Uh, not only when it enters, but when it attacks. This just fuels so many different strategies. If you're a zombie deck, it's, it fits right in. If you're a token deck, it fits right in. If you just need creatures to sacrifice to your Lord of the Pit, it fits right in. This just does everything uh, that I would want in a card. It, yeah, I can't. We we already talked about it, but that was also on my list. So I get a short turn. What's next? For yeah, you? he's he's awesome. And like you said, we we covered him before. Got excited about him before. Got excited about him again. He's. He's awesome. I won't spend a ton of time on my next one either because this is another card I've talked about in in a previous episode, but I think it really deserves a place on the list of um, powerful and good black magic cards, and that is Soren Markov. He uh, was first printed in Zendikar, I believe. Um, Yes. I think it was Zendikar. But... (laughs) Yeah, so he is a, uh, a vampire planeswalker, three generic and three black lands. So he he's a little bit expensive, but that's to be expected with black cards that are powerful. So he comes into the battlefield with four loyalty counters. Uh, you can plus two him, and Storm Markov deals two damage to target creature or player, and you gain two life, so very on flavor for vampire. Minus three, target opponent's life total becomes ten. I'm not sure that there is another card that can cut your opponent's life in down to a quarter of the starting life total in edh like this can as long as you can cast it and he resolves you can really fuck with someone's day with cough magister sphinx cough there you go uh touche touche but yeah so and then his ultimate uh, is awesome too. Minus seven, you control target player during that player's next turn. So that's pretty awesome too. You can see what's in their hand. You can make them do things they may not want to do, um, you know, to themselves or to opponents or or whatever. It's just a very flavorful vampire lord type card, and uh, he's extremely extremely useful. He's like I said, his, his casting cost is high. I think he still flutters between the 15 and $20 mark for probably his original printing. I don't think that's going to come down anytime soon because I don't see him being reprinted anytime soon unless he is indeed one of the um, War of the Spark Planeswalkers that comes out. But I still don't think it's going to be Soren Markov, nor do I think it'll be, you know, uh, Soren Grim Nemesis, Lord of Innistrad, any of the other Sorens. Um, those are great cards too, but Soren Markov is my favorite Planeswalker printing of Soren. So he's got a spot on my list. What do you have next? The next one on my list was Soren Markov. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then. 
<laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs> Show's over. Uh, why, why did you put him on your list? No. Uh, basically, for all the same reasons you did. Um, he I was uh, uh, one of the first cards I opened in uh, Zendikar. And all of his abilities just scream black. Turning someone's life total to a set number. Controlling someone during their next turn. That's very classic vampire. But yeah, pretty much all the same reasons uh, you said it were uh, the reasons why I put it on my list. So I'm going to go to the next card on my list. And then I'm going to look up one more card so we actually have stuff to talk about. Um, <laughs> I, thought of, I thought of another card that should be on my list. Uh, but in the meantime... Uh, the next one on my list, I cheated it a little bit, just a little bit, and I included Vraska the Unseen. Ah, nice. It's, it's a cheat because she is black, but she is also green. Uh, she's a, another Planeswalker. She's the first Vraska Planeswalker we ever got. She just looks super spooky there in the shadows. Uh, that was Return to Ravnica, right? Uh, I believe so. Is that what she was printed in? Yes, Return to Ravnica. Uh, yep, there she is. Um, I was looking at the alternate art. Uh, uh, original art's pretty cool too. Five loyalty when she enters, three a black and a green, plus one until your next turn. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to Vraska, destroy that creature. That's okay. Minus three, destroy target non land permanent. Also okay. But the reason that I put her on my list is because she does something that no other card in Magic does that I can think of. Her minus seven is put. Three one one black assassin creature tokens onto the battlefield, and these assassins have whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. It's the most assassin assassin in the game. <laughs> she she gives things death touch to players. Yeah, and I think that's great. I think uh, if blacks if blacks main evergreen mechanic is death touch the fact that we have a, a card that one damage from a creature will take a player out of a game that's super death touch uh and i just think that's really really cool that's definitely that, that definitely says black to me yeah i agree i think I, I i like her for all everything you just said and you're right it doesn't get more uh black than that and another thing too i think it's cool is so vraska's a gorgon and if you read her abilities on this card at with that in mind it, it's just like soren's super on flavor for a vampire lord she's she's on flavor for a golgar uh golgari jesus a gorgon queen you know um when you think about how they you know turn things to stone and destroy certain things it's very um you know, whether it's looking at her or dealing combat damage to her, um, you know, there's a price to pay. So I, I really like that card. Uh, I think that's a, a good choice, a good, a good addition to the list, especially for her ultimate. Um, the last one on my list before my honorable mention is a card. Again, I've talked about it before and he is not a game breaker. He is not anything to necessarily write home about, but he is one of the first cards that won me one of my first games of magic. Uh, when I started playing the game, it's always got a special place in my heart. And that if you haven't guessed it already is Sanger vampire, uh, four, four flying for three generic and two black mana. And he gets a plus one, plus one counter each time a creature dies during a turn that he dealt damage to it. So he can grow. It is the ultimate vampire flavor card. Um, as far as what his abilities are and how that fits in with the fact that he's a vampire. So I love him. That original art is probably the most iconic magic art from my childhood in, in my opinion, from what I remember. And it is just one of my top, one of my favorite black cards at, of, of all time. It always will be, like I said, it's not a game breaker, but it's just a lot of fun and it's got a special place in my heart because of what, I remember from that card uh, growing up. So did you did you find the last one you wanted to talk about? I did. Uh, the last one I wanted to talk about uh, was Chainer Dementia Master. Chainer Dementia Master is a 3-3 three, three, uh, legendary minion for 3 and 2 black. Uh, it says all nightmares get plus 1 plus 1. Uh, you can pay 3 black and pay 3 life. To put target creature card from a graveyard into play under your control, that creature is black and is in a nightmare in addition to its creature types. So this one also does a couple really black things. Uh, you're paying three life uh, uh, to Chainer, and in, re in return for your life, you're getting a creature back from 
uh, not only your graveyard, but it could be anybody's graveyard. Uh, when Chainer dies, you have to remove all nightmares from the game, so anything you bring back with it, if it dies, everything you brought back with it, excuse me, also dies. Uh, so that's a slight drawback, but um, I really like it because, again, it does black things. Uh, it seems super flavorful. Um, and also, every time I look at this card, I think of uh, a game of Magic I played a couple of years ago. Uh, this was during one of our uh, Christmas EDH games that I was telling you about earlier. I played my... I don't remember... Oh, my commander for the deck was... I don't remember the name of it, and I'm not going to look it up right now. Uh, it was a blue-black vampire. Uh, so I built a blue-black deck, but I didn't know who the commander was. I think I thought it was somebody else, so I built the deck around that, and then it turned out to be this vampire guy. Um, but anyway, Chainer Dementia Master was in my deck, uh, and I had built... Uh, uh, I used the foundation of this deck to turn into what is now my Silumgar deck. Um, and Chainer, yeah, and Chainer used to be in that deck because it, it, it fits with stealing other people's things because I can take a creature card from anyone's graveyard. I like that. But I, I, I built this deck and did stealing stuff from everybody and I played against a guy who hates having his stuff stolen. <laughs> <laughs> That's always so the most fun. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't build it with the intent of like, oh, I know this guy. He hates having his stuff stolen. I'm going to build a deck just to piss him <laughs> off. It was just coincidence. Uh, but we sat down to play a game, and uh, the way he he had some sort of double elimination system he came up with that he wanted to do. So I ended up playing two games against this guy that night, and I won both times. But the very last game we played, I had Chainer Dementia Master. He had Tree of Perdition, Ooh. Uh, which is a 0-13 plant for three and a black. It has Defender, and you can tap Tree of Perdition, and it says exchange target opponent's life total with Tree of Perdition's toughness. Uh, I had a lot of life. He did not, so he was going to tap Tree of Perdition to put me at 13, uh, I think he had a. I think he had a big flyer that he was going to be able to swing in and attack me with on his following turn. So I think his. Uh, I think his goal was to at the end of my turn, uh, he was going to tap to put my life total at thirteen and and his tree. Is that what it was? Exchange target opponent's life total with. No, that's not what it is. I this story is not what at all what I thought it was. Hold on, vamp. Truth Perdition was not the card I was looking for. Vamping, vamping. Go. Hold on. None of these. I honestly don't remember what he had. The the idea the idea of the it was either it must have ended. It was either Magus of the Mirror or Soul Conduit. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was probably Soul Conduit. But either both of those cards, you exchange your life total with somebody else's. It was definitely Soul of Conduit because he was doing it at the end of uh, he was doing it at the end of my turn and and Magus of the Mirror you can only do it during your upkeep. Oh, so you're talking about that artifact from New Phyrexia? Yes, got it. A six okay. mana tap. Two target players exchange life totals. Got it. That must have been that must have been what it was. So not Tree of Perdition. I don't know why I thought it was Tree of Perdition, uh, but he wanted to switch our life totals around because I had a bunch more life than he did. Anyway. So he activates uh, soul, con uh, soul Conduit to exchange our life totals. I had a tomb, uh, uh, Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth, making all my lands swamps. I had Cabal Coffers, where I can add black mana equal to the number of swamps I control. I was able to activate Chainer's ability enough times to take my life total from whatever it was down to one in response to him activating soul conduit so when he thought he was going to gain a bunch of life life totals just got switched around and i put him at one and i had whatever he had and he did that uh at the end of his turn and it was my turn and i was able to hit him for one damage game over game over that's awesome yeah that is my chainer dementia master story that's cool i like that that's a good story
So I've got one more card. It's my my honorable mention. I was trying to keep it down to five, but as I was thinking about it, I had another flashback, and I had to add him to Torak to my list. That is a sorcery for two black mana, and uh, it reads, target player discards two cards at random for his or her hand. If target player does not have enough cards, his or her entire hand is discarded. So not only is this a a pretty powerful card in order to um, get card advantage on your opponent and force them to pitch, it's also something that I remember from, again, when I was a much younger Magic player and Fallen Empires was a current set. It was one of the cards back in the day that had multiple versions of art for it. So there's one with a bunch of priests on a mountainside with a giant wolf's head in the background. There's one that looks like a creepy old bearded man with crazy claws and an awesome cloak. Uh, There's another one where it looks like there's a bunch of, I don't know, maybe some sorts of druids or something, um, all shirtless, arms around each other in a big circle around something and they're and they're chanting this hymn to Torak. And then there's one where it's like two dudes in a restaurant. It's kind of weird, but it's cool. So all, all the art's very cool. And then actually hymn to Torak was a few years ago, actually that'd be what, five years ago now, um, when From the Vault 20 came out to celebrate Magic's 20th anniversary, hymn to Torak was reprinted again. And this time it was reprinted. Well, I think eh, maybe everything in that set was mythic rare. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was printed at, at Mythic Rare, and uh, it had new art yet again. A bunch of guys bowing down before some sort of idol. But again, it's a really cool card. If you haven't read the the lore in Magic's backstory, look up Torak and 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 the priests sometime because you'll learn something neat. Uh, the the whole Sarpedian Empire saga is excuse me is is pretty cool. So. Take the time, look that up. Uh, it'll probably come up at some point in the future when we discuss lore uh, here on the show. But for now, to whet your appetite till we get that far, uh, check it out. And also get yourself a copy of him to Torak if you don't have one, because it's an awesome and very useful card. Yeah. Um, I've never actually played with that card. It's cool. It's fun. I can't remember if it was ever on the ban list or not. I feel like it might have been at some point banned from some format. I don't remember. But that's asking me to go back to when I was like 9 and 10 years old, and I, I don't remember that long ago. One of me, um, you mind, you take away one legal drinking age of me, and I'm finally back there. So it's been a, it's been a while. I grabbed a couple cards that I thought were really stupid cards uh, that were printed in black too. I don't know. Did, did you grab any, or did you just grab cards you liked? Uh, I was only able to get cards that I liked. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna blow through these pretty quick. You know, we've been talking a little over an hour anyway, so I don't want to go go too deep into this. But I did grab a handful of cards that I remember looking at, just being like, "Yeah, but why?" <laughs> the first one on my list is Tombfire. Uh, this is from Odyssey. It's a sorcery for one black, and target player removes all cards with flashback in his or her graveyard from the game. This is the most specific sideboard card in all of history. I I don't remember this block. I'm sure there must have been plenty of cards that had flashback um, at the time. But holy crap, you had to know exactly what your opponent was playing. And this has to be the most, like I said, sideboard specific card ever. I just can think of a million different things to put in your deck that are going to better serve you than a card that removes all cards with flashback from target player's graveyard. So... That was one that I was like, well, that's a piece of crap. I'm also not a big fan of Hint of Insanity, also from Odyssey. Maybe there's a theme here in that block. I don't know. (laughs) Too generic and a black. Uh, It's a sorcery. Target player reveals his or her hand. That player discards all non-land cards with the same name as another card in his or her hand. So if you're playing EDH, well, this is out because it's non-land cards with the same name. So this has absolutely no use in that format. Not that it was created for that, but again, even if you're playing someone in in uh, you know say modern or whatever, you got a sixty card deck, right? What are the chances that they're going to have multiple copies of a non land card in their hand when you cast this? I mean, that's really playing the lottery. And again, I can think of a uh, hundred better cards to play than this one in in in, in a game. It just seems like it's just absolutely unnecessary to me and a yeah. foolish a foolish thing to play. So. Last one I have on my but why list is Bog Hoodlums from uh, Lorwyn. This is a Goblin Warrior. It's a 4-1 for 6 land, 5 generic, and 1 black. It cannot block. 
So it's a 4-1 that cannot block for 6 land. And when it comes into play, clash with an opponent. If you win, put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Bog Hoodlums. So it's either a 5-2 or a 4-1, again, that cannot block. The, the clash keyword, if you will, aside, uh, each clashing player reveals the top card of his or her library, then puts that card on, on the top or bottom. A player wins if his or her card had a higher converted mana cost. So uh, basically you're looking at that, honest to God, for people who have not been playing for as long as I have, that used to be how we decided who went first in a game of Magic. Instead of rolling, you would cut the deck and you look at the bottom card, and whoever had the highest converted mana cost uh, got the option to uh, play or draw. So if that doesn't tell you how long ago we were using that idea, that should tell you enough about Clash. But anyway... Right. Um, what the hell do you want to put all that money into something that can't block for? And it doesn't have trample. It doesn't have any sort of evasion. Uh, it doesn't have death touch. It doesn't have anything. It's a 5-2 that can't block if you're lucky. Otherwise, it's a 4-1 for six land. There's just so many better things you can spend your mana on when you finally got that much mana available. So those are my quick my quick gripes, I w- uh, if you will, I suppose, uh, with those cards are garbage with black cards they they really suck (laughs) they really suck but you know what doesn't suck magic magic doesn't suck black doesn't suck like i said black is my absolute favorite color i will always play with it in some way shape or form whenever i can so i've sang the praises of black i've got nothing left um what about you teach anything you want to say in closing about black and magic uh no i think we nailed it black's a good color i like to play black it is Um, it is a ton of fun yeah well uh thank you thank you for taking time uh so soon again to record another episode with me thank you to our listeners for tuning in and listening again again uh you know as we always tell you make sure you catch us on itunes google play stitcher podbean iHeartRadio, spotify anywhere that you can consume podcasts take a look at our online communities on instagram and on facebook at homebrew magic and join up please be sure you rate review and subscribe because it helps us in the search rankings of uh your favorite podcast apps and we will talk to you next time and until then don't drink and scry